Welcome to The King's Table, a podcast out of King's Hill Church in Boston, where we seek to elevate the Bible over opinion, answering the questions you have. I'm your host, Jonathan Mosley. Today, I'll be giving you a brief orientation to the Bible by looking at the table of contents. Now, if you're listening into this episode, I would recommend grabbing a Bible and following along. There's also a video version to this podcast you can watch on our YouTube channel with visuals provided along the way. Enjoy. Now, before you experience your first official day as a student on campus, or before you experience your first full work shift at your job, you usually have an orientation. And that's what I want to do for us now with the story of the Bible as we look at the table of contents. I want you to know exactly where you are in God's plan of redemption, no matter what book you're reading. There is a unifying thread that holds the entire Bible together, and it's this, a holy God making a way to be with, to dwell with sinful man. That's the overarching storyline of Scripture. Now, the answer to how that happens is fulfilled in the person and work of Christ. But there spans a long time before we actually get to Jesus. From when the world was made, to the formation of Israel, to the fulfillment of promises, there's a lot that happens. Now, the Bible is a book in one sense because it tells one unifying message. But it's also a library. It's it's a collection of books. The Bible was written over a span of about 2,000 years by 40 different authors on three different continents. Some authors were scholars, some fishermen, some prophets. One was a cupbearer, one a military leader. These works, these books were composed in places like the wilderness, in palaces, in prisons. So you, you have a lot of authors writing from a lot of different places So add it up all together, it's one story. Now, what might lead to some initial frustration about how the table of contents is laid out for us is that it's not chronological. In fact, it's compiled the way it's brought together. It's it's based on genre, not a timeline. So sometimes we hop into a book and we're a little lost. Where are we? What's come before? What's come after? We're not really sure. But knowing the answers to those questions is absolutely critical because context is everything. Before we can jump to an interpretation of a passage or an application of a passage, we first need comprehension. So let me encourage you one more time to go ahead and grab that Bible and turn to the table of contents. And I, and I have to confess, if you're someone listening in the car and you, you can't open up to the table of contents, I might recommend pausing and coming back at a later time, because I don't know if you'll find this podcast profitable unless you're looking with me at the table of contents. So let's dive in together. First, what you're going to notice in the table of contents, I just want to point out the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is called the Pentateuch, Penta meaning five. These books were believed to be written by Moses. And in Genesis 1, God creates the entire world that comes under the curse of sin, all of creation and the people within it, because of Adam and Eve's disobedience. But by the time we get to Genesis 12, we begin to zero in on one man's life, Abraham. It's through Abraham's lineage the people of Israel will be brought about. In fact, the entire Old Testament, the foundation for the whole Old Testament is the book of Genesis because God has made promises to Abraham Promises we don't see totally fulfilled until the arrival of Jesus. So imagine you're a Jew reading the first five books. It answers questions like how the world was made, uh, 
it, it, it answers questions like what your national history is, but it also underscores your relationship to God. Okay, now if you look at Genesis through Esther, the genre here is historical narrative. So in other words, you can read Genesis through Esther, and for the most part, you are reading chronologically. Now, after Abraham comes his son Isaac, and it's through Isaac's son Jacob, we get his 12 sons, which later become the 12 tribes of Israel. These clans, they multiply, and they're brought to the land of Egypt. This is all Genesis. And then you start to see God's people, they're redeemed from Pharaoh's bondage in Exodus. They've been mistreated. You see God's people move into the land that's promised to them in Joshua. You see God's people guided by military leaders and judges until they ask for a king. Now, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, they underscore the people of Israel wanting to be like the nations around them, and so they ask for this king. Now, unfortunately, the history of the nation of Israel, now this nation is coming about as a king is put in place, the history of Israel as a nation includes a split. Just like America has its history, some good, some bad, so does Israel, and it's critical that we know it. And so there's this northern kingdom and southern kingdom that comes about. Israel gets divided. You have a few kings. You have Saul, David, Solomon, and then after that, this kingdom gets split apart. You see this in 1 Kings chapter 12, and the northern kingdom is made up of 10 out of the 12 tribes. It's the larger one. It's called Israel. The southern kingdom is made up of two tribes, uh, Benjamin, and you guessed it, Judah. <laughs> uh, now, when you come to First and Second Chronicles, a lot of this stuff you've already read in First and Second Kings, but it gives special attention to the southern kingdom of Judah. And the reason for that, the reason for the special attention is because Judah, this smaller kingdom, the one of two tribes, this is the kingdom that God promised the forever king would come out of because God promised that through the line of Judah, the forever king would come. Now, continuing through our historical narrative, we move to Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther. Now, what you find because of the disobedience of God's people is that God uses the nation of Assyria to bring judgment on the northern kingdom, and God uses the nation of Babylon to bring judgment against the northern and the southern kingdom. Now, this judgment was promised way back when God gave the law to Moses and when Israel entered a covenant with God on Mount Sinai, because one of the conditions of the covenant was if you disobey it, the people would be cursed and judgment by surrounding nations would come upon God's people. And that's what happened. So God's people begin to live as exiles. They're dispersed among the kingdom of Babylon. They're taken away from Jerusalem. Their way of life is destroyed. The temple, the center point of their worship and identity is eradicated. Now, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, they're all contemporaries of one another. In fact, it's likely due to Esther's reputation and her marriage to Xerxes that Esther's stepson, Artaxerxes, allows the Jews to return to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and the walls. The Jews don't return all at once, though. They're scattered throughout Babylon, and they return in waves. So Ezra and a wave of Jews return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah and a wave of Jews later return to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls. Now, God has kept his promises so far. He's kept a remnant of Israel. He's judged them for their disobedience. He's graciously acted on their behalf to see the city and them restored. But there are many promises yet unfulfilled. Where is this king that would rule forever in the line of David? 
Where is this new covenant that would provide power to actually obey what God has said? Where is this Savior that would once and for all be the sufficient sacrifice for sin? We're not given an answer yet. So while Genesis through Esther is an historical narrative, it's missing something which obviously we're going to be getting to the New Testament and all these answers are going to be fulfilled. But Genesis through Esther is historical narrative. That's the genre of that first list. Now, I'll be moving much faster. The next group of books that we put together is Job through the Song of Solomon. It's regarded as wisdom literature. Much of this wisdom literature, not all of it, but a lot of it is written by King Solomon. So if you're following along with me, then you know that this book was written during the time of Israel's kings. You actually first come across Solomon in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's Israel's third king. It's before the kingdom splits. So you have the wisdom literature. Now you come to the next collection of books, Isaiah through Daniel. These are major prophets. And then you come, through, uh, you come to Hosea through Malachi, which are minor prophets. Now you might be asking, what's the difference between major prophets and minor prophets? Really a simple answer, and the answer is it's just their length. Isaiah through Daniel are much longer than the books of Hosea through Malachi. So the larger ones, Isaiah through Daniel, major. Smaller ones, Hosea through Malachi, minor. Now, get this, since Genesis through Esther gives you the baseline for historical narrative, that means you are able to place all the prophets, both minor and major into this timeline. Now with each prophet, we need to ask these questions. Number one, is this prophet, as we look at the major and minor prophets, is this prophet before exile, during exile, or after exile? And the next question is this, to which kingdom, northern or southern, is the prophet speaking to? Now let me give you some examples to see if this helps. Take Zephaniah, for example. The book starts off like this. In chapter 1, verse 1, the, the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So, so get this, Zephaniah identifies who he is speaking to, Josiah. And we know he's the king of Judah. So that means speaking to the southern kingdom, to this king in particular, Zephaniah is. And because the king has provided for us, we can turn back to the historical narrative and find where we are in the story. We're in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23. This is before exile. But now we can understand as we open up the pages of Zephaniah, we can understand why he's prophesying judgment because Zephaniah knows that the nation of Babylon is coming. Take Daniel, for example. This book starts out in chapter 1 verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So the story of Jehoiakim and Babylon's invasion is provided for us in 2 Kings at the end of chapter 23 and at the beginning of chapter 24. So the book of Daniel is, is during exile. Now many, I, I get these two examples because many of the prophetical books actually provide the historical reference at the beginning of their book. So it's easy for us to go back to the historical timeline from Genesis to Esther and find out where we are in the story. Okay, now if you can look again at the table of contents, the major prophets, Isaiah through Daniel, I want to give you a, a, give special attention now here to the 12 minor prophets, Hosea through Malachi. 
just to break it down a little further for you, a little hint, the first nine minor prophets, Hosea through Sephaniah, are pre-exile. And the last three minor prophets, Haggai through Malachi, are post-exile. Why is this important? <laughs> because it helps us understand what this book meant to the original audience, and it helps us internalize their struggle as we try to internalize God's word. For example, the book of Habakkuk is pre-exile. This entire book of Habakkuk is the prophet questioning how God could use a wicked nation like Babylon to bring judgment against his own people. Habakkuk sees the impending judgment and he brings these complaints against God. How is God going to bring about good from all of this? You see, the struggle of the prophet. For us to really understand this book, we have to understand that this is pre-exile and, and to see what Habakkuk is prophesying. Take, for example, the book of Haggai. This is post-exile, after exile. And here, God has been so gracious at restoring the Jews back to Jerusalem. He's provided all the resources necessary to see their walls rebuilt, the temple rebuilt. And after 70 years of living in captivity, have they learned anything? Well, not much. In fact, the prophet begins by rebuking them because instead of the people getting to work on the temple and seeing it restored, they're spending their resources and their time rebuilding their own houses. They still have yet to know what it means to put God first. They're taking advantage of God's grace. Their hearts have not changed. Will there come a day when hearts change? And if so, how will God bring it about? So understanding the historical narrative, Genesis through Esther, it's going to be important for comprehension as you look at wisdom literature, as you look at the major prophets, and as you look at the minor prophets. That's a quick summary of the table of contents with the Old Testament. Now, on to the New Testament. Much short, much shorter. In the New Testament, first you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are gospel accounts. They give a detailed account of the life of Jesus, specifically showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of of the promises that God's given us in the Old Testament. Now you move on to Acts, and Acts is the historical account of the birth and the expansion of the early church. This good news of Jesus was not just good news for the Jews, but for the entire world. And Acts gives answers to how Jews and Gentiles were to receive this good news and how the people of God would grow as the apostles went throughout uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world, to bring about this message of hope. Now, as you look at Romans through Jude, these are epistles. Epistles is just another word for letters. Romans through Philemon were written by Paul. Hebrews is thought to be written by Paul, but the author is unknown. James, as you might guess, was written by James. First and Second Peter were written by the Apostle Peter. First and Second and Third John were written by Apostle John. Jude by Jude. Revelation, finally, was written by John, uh, but that's a different genre. So back to Romans through Jude, again, this genre are epistles, they're letters. All right, now I want to give a little more additional information regarding the epistles written by Paul, because you can break down Paul's epistles further by the letters he wrote to churches and by letters he wrote to individuals. So Romans through 2 Thessalonians, were written to God's people at specific locations. Romans was written to God's people in Rome. Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus. Philippians was written to the church at Philippi, and so on. 
And if you're wondering how these churches got started, if you're wondering the history of the churches, what book might you turn to? You guessed it, Acts. Because Acts is the historical narrative of the expansion of the early church. So you get a lot of backstories into how these churches began that Paul was writing to in the book of Acts. Now, 1 Timothy through Philemon are written by Paul, but they're not written to churches, they're written to individuals. So 1 Timothy through Philemon are often regarded as pastoral epistles because when you read them, you hear this shepherding pastoral tone to those he loves and to those he's labored alongside of. And finally, you have Revelation. This is not uh, this is not epistle genre. This is uh, apocalyptic literature. There's a lot of symbolism here, so it's important to first have a grasp on the rest of the Bible because it pulls from a variety of places in the Bible through the redemptive story it tells. So knowing the rest of the Bible is important before you come into Revelation. All right, that's a brief, quick orientation to the Bible, at least by using the table of contents. In the Old Testament, you have historical narrative, you have wisdom literature, you have major prophets, and you have minor prophets. In the New Testament, you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the history of the early church, Acts. Then you have epistles, letters written to churches and to individuals. That's Romans through Jude. And finally, you have apocalyptic literature, which is Revelation. Now, I want you to know where you are in God's story. I hope this has been helpful because I want you to move towards greater comprehension so you can have greater confidence for interpretation and application. There is so much to explore and know about the Bible. The Bible is like an ocean, inexhaustible in opportunity for discovery. It is a source for wonder and awe. And my encouragement is for you to get to know this story. And more than that, for you to get to know the God who has authored it. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's discussion around the different genres within each of the Old and New Testaments. Also, as we looked at a general flow of the Bible storyline, and for us, how we are to know where we are in the Bible as we read it. If you'd like more information or resources from Kingshill Church, you can find them at www.kingshillboston.com.